Hello, and welcome to Church at the Bridge. Thank you for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. Today is week two of our current series, Frequency. The title of today's message is, I'm a friend of God. We hope you enjoy the word today. Good morning. All right. Some of you know me as Pastor Jose. You just call me Pop-Pop. Oh, man. I was, uh, I was, I was sharing, I was thinking about this, you know, during worship, during first service, and again, during second service, just, you know, the, what the lyrics to the songs that we sing, we're very purposeful about them. We always want to draw back our attention to God and his goodness, and I can tell you honestly, I can't speak for anyone else, but I can tell you for me, if this is all I ever accomplish for the rest of my life. I'm truly blessed. My cup is full and it overflows. Such a blessing to see my son holding his son. And uh, it's, just, it's just a blessing. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, but I ain't going nowhere. I've got, I've got a task at hand God's called me to. And uh, it's a pleasure to serve you here this morning. For those of you that don't know me, I am Pastor Jose. I'm the lead pastor here at Church at the Bridge. And today, I have the privilege to share God's word with you. And, I, you know, you've heard me say this time and time again, and I'm just going to say it again. The Bible says we go line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. That's how we learn. And today my aim is not to give you my opinion, but to point you back to the truth that is revealed in God's word. So I'm not giving you my opinion here. Everybody say, you all right with that? Everybody say, I love, I love. Pastor Jose. <laughs> Remember you said that. All right. Because today I'm going to share some things with you that may challenge you. Uh, Last week we started a series entitled Frequency, Tuning Into God's Voice. And we're continuing upon where we started last week. Last week we learned one simple concept. We learned that we can all hear God. And I just heard somebody think this. No, I can't. No, we can't. But the truth is that God has never stopped speaking. God is always speaking. And the reason why we might struggle with that statement is because some hear and then there are those that listen. Listen closely to God's word in Psalm 19, 1 through 4. I'm just reading the first half of verse 4. And I want you to consider what the scriptures say. It says that the heavens proclaim the glory of God. In other words, There's something that is being spoken and said, declared, decreed about God. Listen to what it's saying. It says, the skies display his craftsmanship. In other words, how God creates, how God forms, how God builds. Uh, And then it goes on to say, day after day, they continue to speak. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to how much? All the world. And so what I want you to just pause for a moment and consider as we get started here today is that God himself is revealing something about himself all the time. All the time. You remember that moment? You probably don't where you said, Mommy, why are the skies blue? Who created the sun? Where did that come from? 
Every single person has come to the point where we consider creation and we wonder, how did this come about? See, everybody hears. But the truth is that there's a difference between hearing and listening. See, it takes leaning in. God reveals himself to every single person. But the truth is that we have to press in to hear and understand God himself. So here's an interesting idea. The closer you draw to God, the more distinct his voice and leading will become to you. You know, my wife was just sharing that our grandson was born. Can you believe that this guy right here is a grandfather? Man, I'm, I'm still reconciling that one in my brain. I'm like, Grandpa. But anyway, uh, me and my grandson, we've got this thing going on. My son and my daughter-in-law truly blessed my heart. Um, When our grandson was born, the very first thing that they did after mom held him was to put him in my hands. And I was able to place my hands on my grandson and declare God's blessing over his life. And so me and him, we've got this thing going on because every time I hold him and he hears my voice, he does one of these. He, he begins to kind of squint and he, he'll slightly open up an eye. And so we've got this thing. Every time I grab him, I say, where are my eyes? Let me see my eyes. And he'll begin to squint. But I'll tell you why I share that because from the moment we're born, we all begin to recognize who's speaking to us. There's something that happens. And I want you to see that when you draw close to God, when there's proximity, when there's relationship, when there's more than just seeking but knowing God, we begin to develop an ear and an understanding for the voice of God, for the leading of God. That's good news because God wants you and I to hear and understand his ways. In John chapter 10, verse 4, Jesus bears this out a little bit more clearly. He says, when he has brought out all his own. He's referring to a shepherd and the shepherd that in question is himself. And so he describes himself as a shepherd in relation to his people as sheep. And he says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him. But watch why, because they know his voice. I want you to realize that to hear God, to know God, to understand what God is speaking to your life day in and day out, to understand the purposes and plans that he has for your life, for all of it to make sense, it takes nearness. It takes proximity. But most importantly, it takes a desire to follow. To follow. See, it's only those that follow that know his voice. Now, I want you to understand that to hear God, it takes an act of faith. It's one that goes beyond seeking God. I know some of you just kind of went, wait, 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 what are we talking about here? Let me explain what I mean. There's a difference between seeking God and following him. See, there are many people in search of God, in search of knowing God or understanding God. That's called religion. It's called searching for a solution to my needs. It's called trying to make sense out of life. It's called God help me. And there's nothing wrong in that in and of itself. But you see, following Christ is a completely different story 
altogether. Let me show you this from Scripture. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 1 through 15. For some of you, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture. So I want to encourage you not to tune out the Word of God. I want to encourage you not to filter the Word of God through, I've already heard this, I already know this Scripture. I want you to see that there's always something new and, and, and a revelation that's fresh from God's Word. Jesus speaking in John chapter 15, starting at verse 1, says this, I am the true vine. Hey, get this. We all depend on something. The question is, is it true or not? Jesus says, I'm the true vine. There's a bunch of vines out there, and they'll all feed you, they'll all nurture you, they'll all add something to you. But Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse 4, he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. So get this, Jesus is saying, I want you to remain in me as I remain in you. The question is, how do we do that? What does that mean? Does that mean go to church? Does that mean read a couple of scriptures every day? Does that mean turn, tune your radio to a specific station that only plays Christian music? No, I want you to see what Jesus is talking about here. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Listen closely to Jesus' next words. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, You are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, watch this, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory. You know what he's saying there? This reveals God at his very best. This is a true revelation of God is what he's saying. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If if, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Here's the kicker, verse 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. I want you to get the gist of what Jesus is saying here. I want you to notice that no follower of Christ hears the voice of God and lives 
independent of what God says. Let me put it to you this way. Think of this. We don't depend on God for things. Jesus says, I'm the true vine and you're the branches. In other words, everything the branch needs comes from the vine. Now, I want you to consider this question. Do you depend on God for things or do you depend on God's word? Some of you missed that. The branch depends on the vine. The branch doesn't say to the vine, oh, add to me all these other things. The the branch receives from the vine, and as a result, it flourishes in its season, and it blossoms the way it was created to. Don't miss this point. If we would just get to the place where we would just come to totally depend on God and not depend on things, we would flourish we would blossom, you would bear much fruit the way you were created to. That's good preaching, preacher. Thank you for that. And so listen, but the key to depending on God and the reason why you can hear God is revealed in verse 15. And it leads us to this, to our main point today. The person that hears the voice of God knows this. Verse 15 says, I no longer call you servants. That word servant there alludes to a slave. He says, I no longer call you servants. A servant does not know his master's business. Hear the heart of God. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father. Notice what Jesus says. Everything that I've received from the father. Everything that he's given me, everything that I've learned from the Father, he says, I have made it known to you. What's my point here? Today, we'll be speaking on the subject of I'm a friend of God. I want you to say these words with me. I'm a friend of God. Now, listen, we can all say that, but I got to ask you a question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you're a friend of God? Do you believe that God esteems you to such an extent that he calls you his friend? Regardless of conditions, regardless of circumstances, regardless of history, regardless of behavior, do you believe that God calls you friend? See, if you don't believe that God calls you a friend, if you don't believe that he chose you as a friend, if we don't believe that he receives us as friend, then here's the truth. We will never hear his voice. You'll never follow because you don't know the voice of your shepherd. Listen, this, this, this smacks right in the face of religion. Because I I can't speak for you, but I was taught, just behave. Just do right, act right, talk right, dress right. I was at the church when I was a kid where we were the only ones going to heaven. You ever been to that church? Some of you shaking your head like you've been there, but I didn't see you there. I'm kidding. Listen, I grew up in a very legalistic, rigid understanding of God. 
It was God is the hammer and I'm the nail. So just stay in place. I was told God loved me. And on the same token, I was told how much I needed to repent and go back to the cross because I had undone what Jesus said was finished. You ever thought about this? That if what you do can can undo the power of what Christ did on the cross, then what do you need Jesus for? Right? You might as well just get up on the cross. Oh, nobody's signing up for that one, right? Are you getting my point? Listen, we cannot add to what God has done. But here's the thing. The person that follows Christ and has the ability to hear and understand God's leading knows himself to be a friend of God. Knows himself to be a friend of God. And so today we'll be talking about I'm a friend of God. And I asked this question, do you believe those words when you say them? Because if you don't believe them according to the words of Jesus, you'll approach him as a slave does his master. With a sense of understanding a perspective that says, I am not entitled to all that belongs to the Father. I am not entitled to all the promises of God. And you got to hear what the word says. God says in his word, my promises are yes and amen. What God is declaring is this. Here's my response to every promise that you get in the word. Yes. So be it. That's what amen means. That's his response. How is it that we live in a world today? And look, I don't know what your experience is with Jesus. I don't know if you believe Jesus. And my job here is not to convince you of anything. My job is simply to give you the word of God, point you back to God, and you make your choice based upon what God is already speaking to your heart. Because some of us came here today and we said, I'm going to go hear from God. Hey, can I, can I just throw a monkey wrench into that? He was speaking before you got here. For some of us, what we fail to realize is that he's been pursuing us the whole time because you're that valuable, because you matter that much. And so if you don't believe you're a friend of God, you'll approach him as a slave instead of as a friend. What does that translate to? No confidence. The Bible says that we can come boldly before his throne where we find more grace and mercy. That's confidence. That's what the scripture is saying. You can come to God confidently. So there'll be no confidence. We'll strive to earn favor when the scripture says you're saved by grace through faith. Not of your works, lest anyone can boast. In other words, lest any of us can beat our chest and go, God, here's what I did for you. So you have to bless me. You have to forgive me. What, the, the, the sad reality in that statement is this, that we're asking for something that's already been done. We're seeking something that's already ours. The problem with not understanding that we're a friend of God is that we'll struggle to be good enough. Have you ever tried to be good for someone? Right? You know what I'm talking about, right? How do I look? Do I look good? Right? We change the way we talk, the way we act. We walk a certain way. We talk. We do our hair. Well, in my case, that's not going to work. But you, you get my point, right? 
We try to be good for somebody, and have you ever noticed that as, as, as much as you try to be good for something, for someone, for anything, you're never good enough? There's always something lacking. And so we'll struggle with feeling good enough, understanding that we're good enough. We'll, we'll live with fear and condemnation. So if you don't see yourself as God's friend, the truth is that we'll live tied, shackled to lies. We won't break free from pain and condemnation and the past and and what people have told us and our conditioning over all these years. And more importantly, we won't know God's plan and know his tender leading. And so God calls you a friend. Let me ask you a question. I want you to envision for a moment that you were seeking a new set of friends. And I want you to envision that today you're holding open interviews. You are accepting applications for friends, right? It kind of goes like this. Well, maybe not. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. I have received all your applications. I have reviewed them. And I will now be conducting interviews on who will get the privilege to be my friend. What would you be looking for in that resume? I'll tell you what are some things you'll be looking for in a friend. Someone who's trustworthy. Someone who's faithful. Words like commitment ring true for us. Loving, caring, dependable, right? But I want you to consider God's response to your application. The Bible talks about a guy named Abraham in the book of James chapter 2. And it says in James uh, chapter 2, verse 23, it says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Here's what the scripture is saying. He believed God, and God said, everything is right with that guy. Now watch this. And he was called God's friend. Did you notice that none of the words that we conjured up play into, factor into the equation in how God chooses friends? Not one of them. Abraham, the Bible tells us, was a man that God approached. This guy was a pagan. He didn't believe in God. He believed in his own gods. He believed in himself. He came from this place called Ur of Chaldees. Uh, History tells us that most likely it was Ur of Chaldees three. There were three different dynasties, and this was the most uh, elaborate, the most lavish one. This was the one that was most advanced in their technologies and in their day. So Abraham had it going on. He was all that and then some, right? And God shows up and says, Abraham, leave your father, leave your family, leave your lands, leave everything, and go where I'm going to show you. It's going to be better. I've got plans for you. And the scripture tells us this, that Abraham didn't say So, hey, God, what do I get out of this deal? How much are you going to add to my life? No, the scripture says this. Abraham believed God, and God called him friend. I'll tell you why that's important. Because we ourselves, based on our experience of what we think friendship is, place conditions on how we relate to God. And God says, would you just believe that I esteem you and I love you that much? That I accept you and I call you and I've got great plans for you. See, here's the thing in church. 
for those of us that this is what we do, we believe God loves us. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe God likes you? Do you believe that God approves of you? Do you believe that God truly cares for you? Tough question, but it's an important one to consider. And so because you are God's friend, you can't miss what God says about you. Exodus 33.11 gives us an example of how of what, how God relates to friends. It says, and so the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. Just as a man speaks, listen, to his friend. God speaks to friends. God speaks to his friends, ladies and gentlemen. Let me say this to you. You might not believe that you're a friend of God. But let me say this, God believes you're his. You're his friend. And because he believes you're his friend, he speaks. For some of us right now, we've never thought about God and a relationship with God at this level. Can I suggest to you that maybe, just maybe for the first time, you're leaning in and you're hearing the voice of God. Certainly not my voice. Please don't leave here saying that. that Pastor Jose said, please don't because you missed it if that's what you got. And so God speaks to his friends. And if you study the life of this guy, Moses, you'll see that he was temperamental. This guy was an emotional wreck, right? This guy was full of doubt. He was fearful. He wasn't a good communicator in his estimation. God, God, I'm just a stutterer. I'm not qualified. And God says, no, I choose you. I choose you. In his old age, I choose you. See, God chose Moses to be one of the greatest catalysts to lead the greatest revival, to lead one of the greatest revivals in history that's documented until this day. But it was because God chose him as a friend. And Moses responded in turn. And so just like God spoke to Moses up close and personal, God wants to speak to you up close and personal. He calls you his friend. Will you believe and accept that title? Will you accept that as truth in your life? It'll change your life. The Bible talks, it documents an encounter between Jesus and a man that had no friends. This guy was detested, rejected, he was busted, he was disgusted. In the eyes of people, he was deemed a traitor, a cheat, a sellout. This guy's name was Zacchaeus. And he was despised by all the people of Israel because of his specific role and task in society. He was a chief tax collector. Tax collectors in those days were Jews that worked for the empire of Rome. They collected the excessively high taxes that were imposed unjustly onto the people by a people that hated them, the Romans. And Zacchaeus, in the process of fulfilling his tasks on behalf of Rome, also filled his own coffers in the process. See, it wasn't just give me what's due to Rome. It was give me what's mine as well. See, tax collectors were opportunists. They abused.
used their authority for personal gain at the expense of their own countrymen, their own people, their own family, their own friends. Now, question. I'd like you to take a moment to consider Zacchaeus' resume as one of your friends. Would you accept it? Would he be your friend? I guarantee you, your choice would be, nah, not that guy. But I want you to see Jesus' response when he first meets him. In Luke 19, verses 1 through 9. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. And he was wealthy. You know what that means? He was good at what he did. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter. That just simply means they began to complain. He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Watch this. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. I want you to pay close attention to what Jesus said. This guy is just like Abraham. He's a friend. So let's, let's dig into this for a moment. So what we see here is that Jesus comes into this place called Jericho. This is where this meet occurs. This meeting between Zacchaeus and Jesus happens. And the thing you got to know about Jericho is that Jericho was a church town. Jericho was where the religious elite, the priests, the Levites the ones that served, that prepared the sacrifices, that accepted the offerings, that presented them to God. This is where church people lived. This was the Bible Belt, right? This is where everybody talked church, acted church, looked church. You know what I'm talking about, right? Good morning, brother. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm so glad you're here today, right? It was all, everybody knew their part. They knew how they're supposed to act. They knew what to say. They knew what songs to sing, right? They, they knew it all. And Jesus enters this city. And all the Jews, all these church people begin to amass into a large crowd all around them. And at this point, every one of them has heard about Jesus. They've heard about his miracles, his claims to be the son of God. But as we'll see, as we saw from the scriptures, none of them knew him, nor sought to know him. In other words, they simply wanted to see him. Will he pull a bag of tricks, a trick out of his bag? Will he do some cool miracle? And in the midst of this massive crowd that's pressing upon Jesus and following him is this guy named Zacchaeus. And for Zacchaeus, he probably had a typical day. 
full of offhanded gestures and sneers and snide remarks as he went about the business of collecting and filling Rome's coffers and his business of profiting for his own benefit. And Zacchaeus also hears that Jesus is in Jericho. And so as we see from the scriptures, he wants to see Jesus too. What did he look like? Will he perform a miracle? Is he tall? Is he short? But Zacchaeus was limited. While he wielded great power, he lacked the ability to see Jesus like most around him. I mean, the guy was short. And so he runs ahead of the crowd and he climbs up to a sycamore tree that had to be very high. And he's on, he, he, he perches himself on a branch above the crowd, ahead of the crowd, and puts himself in direct line of sight so that he could see Jesus as he approaches that spot. And when Jesus approaches that spot, the unthinkable happens. Let me tell you what I mean. This is a church town. Certainly, a guy like Jesus, who claims to be the Son of God, would recognize me. I mean, after all, I give my tithe. I give my offering. I pray every day. I read the Word. I, I, I sing nothing but Christian songs. I behave. I mean, just check me out in my righteousness. And so when Jesus shows up, based on his claims and who he was and everything and, 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 the, and the, the reputation that he had, these people are expecting that if he's to take note of anyone, he's to take note of me. And when, when Jesus approaches that spot, while everyone has made it their business to get as close as possible to Jesus and see him, he takes note of none of them. As a matter of fact, instead, he notices a cheat, a traitor, a sellout, a reject, a tax collector. But listen, not just any tax collector, a chief tax collector. See, one who had climbed through the ranks and rose to be one of the best and most trusted by the, by the ruling elite of Rome. So you see, he wasn't just a traitor. He wasn't just a sellout. He wasn't just a cheat. He was chief at doing these things. He did them well. And Jesus doesn't just notice him. Jesus calls him. Can I say something to you, friends? We all live with the day in and day out experience of having to live up to people's expectations. You do it at work. You do it at home. You do it in school. You do it in church. I'll prove it to you. You talk how you talk with your friends, and all of a sudden, the pastor shows up or the deacon shows up. You go, praise the Lord. Bless you, brother. Right? I hope you didn't hear me. But can I say something to you? We learned something very valuable from this encounter with Jesus and this guy Zacchaeus. There's nothing you can do, nothing you have done, nothing you can perpetrate against people, against God that can separate you from his love for you. 
And if you leave with anything today, my prayer and my hope is this, that you hear that God calls you friend and that he's pursuing you. That you mean that much to him. I'm one of those guys that I don't believe that when we encounter the word of God that it happens by accident. I believe you're here for a reason. I believe that God is speaking to you. Not me. That God is speaking to you. And so this guy, he was chief at doing these things. But notice what happens when Jesus takes note of Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, come down from up there. Right now, this moment, I must stay in your house. Now, you see, this was no small gesture on the part of Jesus. Everyone there understood what he was saying. The original language bears it out this way. The term I must stay means I must remain. It means to endure. It means to be held or kept. It means to continue to be present. So to everyone else, this is a cause for great offense. Why? Because this is Zacchaeus. Man, this guy's chief sinner amongst us all. You should be asking me to stay at my house, Jesus. And at hearing their murmurings, what we see is that Zacchaeus not only wanted Jesus to stay with him, but he was willing to do whatever it took. There was no expense too great to be with Jesus. See, this guy hears the murmurings of people and he goes, wait, 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 wait. Here's my bank accounts. Right now, here in this moment, I take half of it and I'm giving it to the poor. And he says, and for all of you that I've cheated, I'll pay four times what I took from you. Can I say something to you? It costs something to hear God, to be with God. But it's more expensive not to. It's more expensive to reject the leading of God. It'll cost you more. See, before this moment, Zacchaeus was all about money, 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 right? It was all about the money, right? It was all about his schemes. It was all about his personal benefits. It was all about him. But upon meeting Jesus, here's what we see is that none of it mattered. All of a sudden, everything that he valued became devalued because there was more value in God than there was in anything that he ever placed value in. Do you know that that's how we function in life? Oh, this is more important. You know what we're doing? We're esteeming the value of one thing and depreciating the value of something else. All of a sudden, everything that his life was about, Zacchaeus says, it doesn't matter. I'm giving it all up. Why? Because Zacchaeus knew three things in this encounter. The change that that we see in his life came as a result of three things. Zacchaeus knew that Jesus knew him. Zacchaeus knew that Jesus called him. 
And here's what else he experienced, that Jesus wanted to be with him. What would your life look like if you believed that? If that was the perspective that you took day in and day out? I guarantee you, it would change your life. Zacchaeus gave it all up because all wasn't enough. What's your all? What do you, what do you value the most? Is it taking the place of God in your life? Is it tuning out the voice of God? And so we learn a couple of things from the life of Zacchaeus as we wrap up here today. The first thing we learn is this, that God has always been your friend. The last thing that Zacchaeus expected was to have Jesus stay in his home. I mean, after all, Jesus didn't know him, or so he thought. But no, Jesus walks by and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. See, Jesus not only knew him, Jesus knew his name. Jesus knew his credentials. Jesus knew all the other stuff. And yet he called him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22 puts it this way. It says, once you were alienated from God. In other words, you were separate. You were apart. You were distant. He says, and were enemies, listen closely, in your minds because of your evil behavior. See, in God's mind, you're a friend. It's how we think and it's what we believe that alienates us from God. God has never moved. God has never left you. God has always been with you. God is always walking with you. When you were broke, God has been there. When you've been struggling financially, God is there. When when your marriage is going to the pits and you don't know how to communicate and you're fighting the right fight where I got to be right all the time and you're finding that it always ends up wrong, he's still there. He's present. Why? Because he's always been your friend. So the scripture says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your own minds because of your evil behavior, but now, you know what I love about that word now in the Greek? It means now. Like at this very moment, maybe this is your moment right now where you understand the truth. He says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you. Watch this. Watch what God sees to present you holy in his sight. That doesn't mean any of the holes that you might have in your clothes. He says, holy in his sight. Watch this. Without blemish and free from accusation. The next time you think something's wrong with you, Get a vision for what God says about everything that's right about you. He calls you righteous. He calls you holy. He calls you accepted. He calls you free from accusation. Not guilty. So the truth is that the last thing on our mind before Christ was that God knew us. That was foreign. That was distant. God knows me. The truth is he calls you friend. And the truth is that we're a lot more like Zacchaeus than we know. I'll tell you why I say that. We also miss the reality once that God has always been our friend. And watch this. Always will be. Always will be. And so the question is, will you accept his friendship? Will you be his friend? See, when you look for Jesus, 
here's what we see through the example of Zacchaeus is that he'll find you. He'll find you. Zacchaeus went out in search of the opportunity to see Jesus, to get a glimpse, right? And what we see from this encounter is that Jesus searched for him. Where'd you get that from, preacher? I'll tell you why. Jesus is amongst the crowd. And he's got all these people pressing on him, pulling for his attention. Jesus had to look beyond the crowd and look up to see Zacchaeus. So while all these church people, they were esteemed in the opinion of everybody else, Jesus looks above the crowd in search of Zacchaeus. And so Jesus searched for him. Jesus saw him and ultimately Jesus found him. See, God is in the business of seeking out people. He sees right where you are and he calls you as you are. But you see, Zacchaeus had to do something that many of us, if we're not careful, can fail to do. Zacchaeus had to come down from his high place and draw near to God. He had to draw near to God. Zacchaeus could have gone on with his daily business, but he didn't. What we see here is that Zacchaeus had to be with Jesus. And so James 4, 8 puts it this way. It says, come near to God and he will come near to you. When we go in search of God, when we go in search of Christ, what we experience is the nearness of God because he's always been there. Matthew 7 and 8 puts it this way. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Get this. God isn't hiding from you. God's not afar from you. He's not going, it's thinketh. No. He says, ask. He says, seek. Knock. And here's what you'll discover. The door's wide open. The door's wide open. He invites you and I to seek, to ask, to knock. And when we do, what we discover is that the door's always been open to life's journey. The answers we seek will come. And you'll find the hidden things that you've failed to hear God speaking all along. So you can count on that because whenever you go in search of God, what you discover is that he already sought you. The Bible puts it this way. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 of John chapter 3 further goes on to expound on that truth. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Get God's agenda. He ain't mad at you. There's nothing wrong with you. If anything, everything's right with you. We see from Zacchaeus that there's no expense too great to hear God. Zacchaeus was unwilling to miss this moment with Jesus in his home. So great and valuable was this opportunity that he was willing to pay whatever price it took to listen to Jesus. As I said before, tuning into the voice of God is not free. 
Matthew 13, 45 and 46 says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and bought it. According to the words of Jesus, the kingdom of God will cost us everything, but it's worth it. Proverbs 16, 16 puts it this way. How much better to get wisdom? This is talking about God's wisdom. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get insight rather than silver? There's a call. And I get it, man. I love my job. I love my money. I love my possessions. I love my things. I love everything that makes up my life. But is it truly friendship? See, all those things you and I have to do to earn them. But there's only one thing you need to do to gain friendship with God. It's accept it. It's accept it. Accept it. And my last point here as we stand is this. We can stand. It's that listening to God requires tuning out everything else. Listen, Zacchaeus was tuned in to that jam every day. It was all about him. It was loud in his life. Listen, he was interested in progressing, increasing, bettering himself. Hey, by the way, that sounds like us, right? Nothing wrong with that, but it was loudest in his life. It was loudest in his heart and in his manner of thinking. Daily, Zacchaeus began his day with his mind on more money and his money on his mind. That was the station that he listened to every day with my mind on my money and my money on my mind. All right, settle down, people. Settle down, settle down. Let's get back. We're in church. Praise the Lord. Listen. We're all guilty of that. Like Zacchaeus, who went about it the wrong way. At some point, you and I have been there where we did it without insight or relationship with God. But when Jesus spoke to him personally, all of a sudden, all that diminished in his heart. And I'm going to tell you why. Because as Zacchaeus was perched on this branch and Jesus came closer, his voice became clearer. Zacchaeus positioned himself to see Jesus. But what he didn't realize was this, that when he rose above his accusers, when he rose above all these people that told him, you're busted, disgusted, rejected, dejected, when he rose above all that and positioned himself in a place where he could see God and God would find him. I hope you're starting to get a picture here. When he tuned in to that dial, that channel, all of a sudden, as Jesus drew near, he heard him loud and clear above the crowd when he said, come down from there. I must come to your house and stay there. I must endure with you.
I must walk this journey with you. Listen to God's agenda for your life. He insists. I don't know about you, but I know about me, God says. I must remain with you. The key to all this unlocking the life that God has for our lives is this one response. I'm a friend. God, I'm your friend. I want you to take a moment right now as we're closing up. Close your eyes and just consider this. We all said in the beginning, I'm a friend of God. But the question is, do you believe that? Do you accept that title? Is it more than just words to you? It'll make all the difference. Today God calls you friend. And our response, our action, in response to who God is and what he says is this, God, I accept that I'm your friend and nothing can change that. From this point forward, Lord, I'm seeking you. I'm looking to you. I'm your friend. Father, today we come to you in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. I believe, Lord, what your word says, that in the hearing of your word, faith comes. And right here, right now, Lord, there are hearts that are open to this truth, that you love us, that you accept us, that in your sight we're holy, in your sight we're righteous, in your sight we're above reproach, in your sight we're beloved, in your sight we belong. God, today we lift our hearts and we say we believe and we hear you speak in return. There's my friend. Hey, it's very possible that there's someone here today and you've never considered yourself a friend of God. Maybe you grew up in church, but it was never personal. It was monotony. It was religion. Or maybe you don't know God at all. Maybe you walked away from all this like I did because you got tired of all the fake stuff. But today there's something different. Today you recognize God loves you and he calls you his friend. If you believe that today, I want you to join us in a prayer of faith. What does that mean? It means I don't see it, but I really do believe it. I believe God loves me. I believe that God saw me in my sin and he said, I'll pay the price that was yours to pay so that you can have the freedom that's mine. Today, right here, right now, I want you to join us in this prayer. It's a prayer that redirects us. It recalculates our path. It's a prayer where we turn around and we get back to what's most important, friendship with God. Pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe you paid the price for me because you love me. Hmm. Today I call you my Lord, my Savior and God, and I call you my friend. And from this day forward, I'm seeking you, I'm following you, and I'm trusting you for the rest of my life. Come on, if you prayed that for the very first time, we celebrate what God is doing in your life. You are a friend of God and God's got great plans for you. Don't leave here without sharing with someone what God has done today. 
We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done in Jesus Christ. And we celebrate friendship with you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you again next Sunday.